0: This week on Geek Explained, Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing beam down from Starship Hivemind to talk Trek and Boldly Go where no Star Trek comics have gone before. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is another creator interview with another returning guest. I love repeat customers. Uh, The hive mind of Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing swing on by to discuss Star Trek. They have been crafting quite the tapestry over there with the Star Trek comics, including their own original stories, bringing back fan favorite characters, and crossing over with some of the most
1: popular. Star Trek franchises
0: that we've ever seen. Uh Malcolm and I got to sit down with them and just gush about Star Trek and I felt legit inspired by this discussion. So, uh we're talking about that today. We also have our latest weekly review on the penultimate episode of season 2 of Loki and of course, this week's comics countdown where I'll be chatting you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week. And also, I'm just kind of riding on a high right now. Uh, as you are listening to this, last week, as of this recording, we had our premiere for Night of the Harvest, my feature film leading debut. Uh, I had an incredible time at our LA premiere, and it was just a magical evening, getting to share in the completion of a project almost two years in the making with friends and coworkers and other creative minds, and it just made my heart sing. So if you did show up to our premiere, thank you so much. If you didn't, I will let you know whenever we can um, get distribution for people who weren't able to see the film live. um, Stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for that. I'll keep you updated as I find out about it. But it was just a wonderful, wonderful evening. And then this past weekend, I also got to attend Anime Pasadena, which was a total blast. Had a ton of fun with good friends. And I'm just in a real good mood, gang. So, Without further ado, let's roll right on into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, as Malcolm and I sit down with Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing to talk some Star Trek.
2: No matter how hard you try, you can't stop us now.
3: No matter how hard you try. Must be funny in a rich man's world
1: These people got me, got me questioning Where is the love? Fight the power We gotta fight the power that we
0: space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Hivemind, its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to guard every corner of the galaxy, to bring the outsiders in, to revolutionize justice like lightning, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Are back i am so excited i've got malcolm here we are very very excited to be bringing back uh two of our favorite guests that we have brought onto the podcast before returning maybe the busiest writers in comics right now they are doing everything they're writing every book they're writing your book it's jackson lansing colin kelly the hive mind welcome back to Geek Explained, guys Yo, thank you so much. That was uh, the
1: coolest
2: that intro. Was one
1: of the coolest <laughs> intros we have ever gotten on a podcast. Hell
2: yeah! Yeah, that was that was cool. Those guys sound impressive. I want to hang out with them.
1: Uh, I, want to <laughs> I want a copy of that so I can hand it to whenever we do our next panel. Right? Like that is the only way I want to be introduced from now on. So
0: that. well, I I I now have panel moderator uh experience so you just that's set true. me up you let me know Oh hey that that's true we we'll we'll should figure we'll that see. out I would, right. I would love that 100% Yeah right. man um but yeah we're here we're so excited to have you guys back here you yes. have had a banner year if anyone has in comics yeah. right now you guys are doing everything we're overextended. Yeah. Um, like, it's a really, uh, I
2: was describing it to somebody yesterday as like, it's the best version of be careful what you wish for. Right. Mm. Cause like we really did fight for so many years in relative obscurity, trying to get to a place where we could write like one of the books that we're writing right now. Right. Like for, for years we are like, what if we did, what would become outsiders or like what what if we did what would become Thunderbolts or what if we could do Star Trek or what if you know in a in like in a million years I don't think we ever would have been like and what if we could also do Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. could, like what <laughs> if we could invite in, in, invent a new future for the Marvel universe and get 48 pages with uh with uh like
1: yeah you know, Juan
2: Cabal to do like time yeah, 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 yeah. like, it was,
1: like yeah. it was lovely to be in the space like you know I think we've done some we did some beautiful work on Genlock. I think our people are on um kick butt. But that's not Guardians of the Galaxy, my guys. Right? Like, <laughs> being able to swing into this kind of amazing um career uh, window in our career has just been absolutely a uh, gobsmacking, as well as some other really cool stuff that we're doing just outside of comics as well. Um, can't wait to talk about that. Yeah, Oof. we'll see. that stuff. Ooh. But we're constantly uh, pinching ourselves uh, and also pinching ourselves because we need to stay awake because there's yeah, more uh, yeah. so we just keep going
0: <laughs> i i i do see the the coffee ivs in the background there we
3: had we
2: had a ahead. 20 minute window before this and i was like well i guess the coffee's
0: coming out <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, 11, it's, it's almost noon it's time for the second cup yeah yep yeah yep. hey i am i am right there with you so don't, yeah, you right right don't worry i oh, man, i am so excited yeah, but you always have coffee every time we record. So, like, I this, this is a balancing yeah. out for us.
3: Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. We're so excited to bring you guys back because we had such a great conversation where you blew our freaking minds about Cap. Um, and we wanted to make sure that we talked about uh, Star Trek this time around. Yes. Because Malcolm has been chomping at the bit when I told him that I'm I met dying. you guys back in... I think it was LA comic-con last year. He was like, we have to talk to them about star Trek. We have to do this. And so, um, hey, we are just going to turn it right into that. We're going to go straight into this.
3: Yeah. Uh, Let's
0: go.
1: Okay.
3: First question. Talir, what the fuck? <laughs> Tune in for star Trek 19. Yes. That's what I want to hear, baby. I, I read the most <laughs> recent issue yesterday. And I was like, no, God damn it. No, I just want to know what's going on with them. <laughs> um, so, 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 the,
2: so the honest, the,
3: like the creative,
2: I'm glad that that uh, indicated some 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 disappointment that we're not uh, keeping them on the ship for a second. Uh, yeah. I, to, to address the um, sort of elephant in the room on that one, the reason for that was honestly that we were, when we went into the story, there were sort of two simultaneous things that were required. We've had this, so for anybody who's not reading Star Trek, we have this character, Talir. They're one of our two original characters, non-binary Vulcan character, who has clearly some secrets. Clearly um, some secrets. In in, in, in issue one, they, they shed a tear, which is odd. In issue three, they uh, somehow save the Theseus from um, Q using like clearly some kind of, Power set that we are unfamiliar with, Vulcans having, um, and then uh, they've continued to have
1: sort of a. Uh, they can don't forget they can magically quaff their hair without even touching their hair. True, oh my God. yeah. I mean, oh, they
0: might be talk about powers we all wish we had. <laughs>
1: um, so
2: they, they, they they've shit. had. They've they've had some really interesting uh uh sort of tease outs and we've had a, a long game that we've known since since moment one. Like the, the plan with Talir has never changed. It has been the same thing since since the get. Um a lot of things tend to pivot and and, and adjust in comics. Uh Talir never has. And I think as we've been as we've gone along, we always knew that when we got to what will we'll effectively be arc five of the book. Um arc four technically, but we I think of yeah. take of blood as kind of the take third blood. arc, yeah. Um, so, in, in our fifth arc, which is coming after Savage World of Glass and Bone, which is the one that's happening right now, or Glass and Bone, because that's a really long title to put on anything, uh, Our bad, uh, the, um, when we get into the next arc, which hasn't yet been announced, uh, we're going to be putting the whole spotlight of the book onto Lear. Um, we're going to be bringing that all to a head, and that's always kind of been the plan. As we got ahead of that, what we realized was... Um, especially given that the rest of our characters need some attention. Um, Tom Paris needs some attention. Um, oh. We had, uh, which, which also involved us bringing in uh, a new character from, from his past in Harry Kim. Yeah, baby. And, and some others who haven't been announced uh, or hasn't, haven't been showcased yet. Um uh, for Star Trek 14. Uh, but that, that whole idea had been, okay, we want to, we want to really give these other characters a little bit of, of, of framework. We want to make sure that they're ready to go, make sure that we've, Covered them enough as we head into arc five and start bringing this, sh- bringing the ship, you know, towards an inevitable conclusion at some point, right? Yeah. Um, it felt like we were gonna be struggling to maintain to um, like agency and viability within the book. Uh, it really genuinely felt like the character was like not. Right
1: didn't really fit into the arc very well. And but... we knew that fans like yourself, if we spent another five, six issues being like, mm, what's the mystery of Talir? Y'all would, would be, be pulling
3: my hair, Start yeah. From- yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, so it's better Talir steps away. Talir For is sure. currently doing some fucking hyper secret Talir shit. Uh, and when cool. they come back into the story of it's going to be with all cards on the table.
3: Yeah, cool. That's excellent. I love that, and it, it does make sense because this this story arc, uh, Glass and Bone, does seem very Tom Paris and Ensign Sato. Uh, yes. you know, heavy, which is cool. And,
2: and that's the other reason is that Ensign Sato, our other original character who yeah. has really good friendship and camaraderie and partnership with Talir, is going to be going oh, yeah. through is going to be going through what is I think her biggest test in Starfleet. In this, uh, in this arc, Seems this, like, this arc yeah. is going to be really, really pivotal for Sato's arc in terms of where we're taking her for the second half of the book. And I think that the, or the second half isn't really... second phase. Oh, the, second, the second phase of this book. As we move her towards... Like yeah, exactly. Yeah. As we move her into her next part of the book, um, it actually became a lot uh, less viable to do that if Talir was over her shoulder. Uh, it really meant that like we needed to move Sato into her own... Uh, into her own world and let her have her own space, and then come back to uh, uh, the relationship with Talir once she's gone through adjustments and Talir has put cards on table. So um, stay tuned for answers on all that stuff. It's coming. Um, uh, I'm really really excited for people to see both sides of this arc because they really are like the two sides of of our Star Trek book, like big crazy adventure um, with lots of cool Star Trek politics stuff in uh glass and bone and then the the art coming after that is like going back to arc one stuff it's like cosmic big weird god level stuff be really really fun
1: cool i love that artist have we no so yeah can't the artist is Frickin' rad. <laughs> <Okay>. Hell yeah. He <laughs> we was getting excited. And okay, I-
3: interesting. I was I was just telling my partner yesterday, who's a big uh, Marcus Toe fan, I was like, yo, Quinn, you gotta read Star Trek because Marcus Toe is drawing, <laughs> and I just wish that Marcus Toe could draw Star Trek for the rest of my life, because holy shit. <laughs> I, 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 we, we,
2: we should really regale you guys then really quickly with the story of how that happened, because Ooh, it is several-year uh, effort. Uh, to make that happen. Uh, we really? Because
3: I mean, I know you guys have worked with them before on Joyride.
2: Which we used to pitch as punk rock teenage Star Trek because they'll never yeah. Star Trek <laughs> get our own, right? Yeah.
3: yeah, and then they did a TV show that's very much your guys' run. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and then and Marcus,
2: Marcus did a, um uh when I went to, to stay with Marcus for the first time, uh, I, I went, uh, I snuck onto the set of Star Trek Discovery uh, and when Holy I did... Shit. Yeah, they never knew I was there.
1: I was there. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> um, awesome. Oh my
2: god! And uh, and when when I was there, uh, I stayed with Marcus because he lives in Toronto where they were shooting. And uh, and I I learned very quickly that Marcus is not just like a, a small Star Trek fan. He's like a he's like a, a pretty intense Star Trek fan. He has like signed pictures of the cast in his house and stuff. Like he's like he's like a real he's a real Star Trek guy. And so I um. At that point, it became sort of my goal to be like, okay, if we ever get Star Trek, Marcus has to come with us. And so when we got year five, he was sort of the first. We were like, and we're going to do it with Marcus. And Marcus was like, guys, I'm so
1: busy. I can't drop everything to do this original yeah. series book. Mar- Marvel swept in and, you know, first it was DC and then it was Marvel. And they I swept- was going to
3: say, I think right at that time he was doing Guardians, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. And,
2: well, he, and, he was, and he was heading into Excalibur Um, not long after. Yeah. Mm.
1: They saw value in him and they snatched him up. And like, what are we, we going to do? Like, uh, we, we can't lure him away from Marvel money, especially not at that time.
2: But several times over the, the course of the two years we were doing year five, we were like, hey, Marcus, want to come do Star Trek? Hey, Marcus, Marcus, want to come do Star Trek? And every time he was like, I can't, I'm so busy. And then we started up on the, on, on flagship and we we're like, Hey, Marcus, want to come? Like, like literally he was like one of the first names out the gate to be like, who are we going to do to get to do this book? And he was like, guys, I can't, I'm on Excalibur. I can't do it. I'm so busy. I'm, I'm on Shang-Chi. I can't do it. I'm so busy. And, uh, and, and obviously like Shang-Chi meant a lot to him. And it was just like, we, we gotta really like make this work. Um, Without him. So we did. And and obviously we ended up I'm, I'm super excited that we ended up with Ramon and with the people that we've ended up with. It's been in a yeah, cap, uh, yeah. and on, on Hell and, uh, and Mike. It's been an incredible list of artists. Um, but the whole time we've been like, when can we get Marcus? Can when you know, when can we get Marcus? And uh, we kept offering and he kept saying, oh, I'm so busy. I really wish I could. I, I just I can't. Uh, and then he invited us to his wedding, yep. which that was his uh-huh. mistake
1: it happened to be uh like a uh, caribbean history fest Ooh. the entire town was just like covered in mardi gras and feathers and bodies it was it was festival it was, yeah like, yeah it was it a was wild, yeah. it was a wild time to come to uh to, to the to this wedding and the wedding was absolutely lovely uh, and as soon as we walked in we saw a big neon like what is a? It's a Star Trek Chiron. It said, "Live long and prosper." I live long and prosper. Cool. It was like oh, a yeah. piece of their wedding decor. Was clearly Star Trek. Uh,
2: and, oh, it, yeah. and the Chiron was on their, on their programs, and there were little Star no details all around the place. It was like it is That's very so subtly crazy. Star Trek themed wedding. That's, That's so and sick. And so we pinned him down during the reception. Like everybody's dancing to the thing, and we all went. We we got a photo in front of the the, the neon, and then we were like. Marcus, you're doing start. Like, look around you <laughs> <laughs> for your own wedding. You gotta come play, like, come do one arc with us. Just come yeah. do it. And the next day, uh, Heather Antos locked him down, and we were hell you know, yeah, on- oh. on- off the races. So it's been years and yeah. years that we've been warming up to do this with Marcus, and that's uh, awesome. finally getting to do it has just been
3: uh, a- such a joy. That's awesome, that's so great. Um, hell yeah. Just in, in terms in general of Star Trek, I so I I love your run because you guys are focusing on my favorite Star Trek character, and he's been my favorite since I was a kid. You know, he when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut, and the big reason was because Ben Sisko was, like, my icon. And I think you guys are the only ones who have been telling any kind of Ben Sisko story at, for a very long time, at least, especially, like, post-DS9 finale. What is it about that character that, like, draws you to him and wanting to tell stories that you know no one's ever touched before.
1: Yeah, um great question. I mean, I think one of the reasons that he has been untouched for so long is that um you know DS9 was the redheaded stepchild of Star Trek. For whatever reason, as Which is crazy. It's the best. <laughs> and we, we so step Easily. <laughs> We agree. Um DS9 is the best. Um Benjamin Sisko is very possibly the best captain. Uh yes. He goes through the most emotional arc. He is the most traumatized. He does the most growing. And he is the best example of uh of a mature, responsible captain, right? Yes. Right. yes. Sometimes you're fucking mad, right? And sometimes you make yes. mistakes. And sometimes you're gonna have to live with those mistakes, yeah. but you can't run from them. Um, you need to take that responsibility. So he's just yes. an apex role model. Um, for for everyone uh, who falls in love with Star Trek. I think the yeah. other thing, the, the,
2: and the reason that we really wanted to come back to the character, um, it, it all sits on the finale. So spoilers for anybody who isn't reading our book and never uh, watched Deep Space Nine, but we spoil it in the first page of, yeah. of, of, our, of our book. So um, if you're listening to this uh, and you haven't, go stop and either read Star Trek 1 or watch seven seasons of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Um, honestly, uh, yeah. you'll be-, you'll be, you'll be um, Yeah, you'll be a good by <laughs> the way. Um, but the trick is that uh, at the end of Deep Space Nine, Star Trek does a really cool thing, um, which is they, they've gone on this whole run with him that has brought, uh, where Cisco has been flirting with the idea of godhood, or, or the idea of being the emissary to gods, yeah. and has been uh, getting at peace with it. And has finally, over the course of the seven seasons, not only come to peace with it, but kind of accepted it, and kind of made it a huge part of his identity. Um, yeah. to, 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 it. you're, you know, there are episodes where he goes overboard right yes. where, there's where, he, where he overdoes it and the uh, the rest of the cast has to step like the rest of the crew has to be there to be like ben you're you're a captain not a not a prophet like you really just yeah, yeah. like step back on this um and uh and that push and pull between grounded frontier dad and husband eventually and prophet of the of these space gods who who never in the history of the of the show uh, uh properly explain themselves in any respect
3: in any way um, yeah. anyway no.
2: and uh and then eventually learning that like he's his mother like was one to some he yeah. so He's not like a genetic ability like this all boils down to like a a, a long thing in, in Ben Cisco's life that's kind of this trap that's been around him his whole life mm. and it's going to end with him going into the wormhole Basically, the minute that he's done with his like earthly duties as the as the Dominion war leader, but his son has not grown up yet. his son is still his son still wants him, his son still needs him. his son is left standing at the window watching the wormhole waiting for his dad to come back. and Avery Brooks, very specifically, and they talk about this in in the documentary um what we Leave Behind, uh he was very overtly uh kind of against this part of the plot because it took not only um you know his his character as as a father and all this but also like very specifically as a black father and was like i'm gonna leave my son leave my son, and and he was like i don't i do not want to be an absentee father i don't like that i don't like what that says i don't like what that means um i know this character is a role model especially to a lot of african-american people i don't want to do that So he was like, so they added that line where he's like, I will be back maybe, uh, maybe in five years, maybe yesterday, but I'll be back. Right. And Star Trek has no ability to follow up with that in live action because Avery Brooks will not return to the role. So because of that, there's not a way for them to ever properly stop, like, 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 like answer that. And so it's been this giant unanswered question for 30 years. Yeah. And so, when Colin, and I came onto the book, uh, we knew that it was actually the only open story story territory that we were curious about exploring. So when we came in to pitch, the very first thing on table was Benjamin Sisko before we had anything else before they let it, before we pitched a cast, before we pitched a crew, we pitched. What if we brought Cisco back, gave him a new mission, gave him a new sh- a new crew that was sort of an Avengers of Star Trek and used it to finally answer some really dangling questions in terms of both his character and his mythology within the context of Star Trek. And we were sure they would turn us down. Like we were certain that Star Trek wouldn't let us do it, but we were like, but it's it's the, it's the swing we have to take because it's the biggest thing left on the table and he's the character who means the most to us. And then, um, Lo and behold, Star Trek saw the same opportunity we did, which I think was the first indicator that we were going to be doing really simpatico with them. And um, the rest is as sort of been history.
1: But I do think the, just the important subtext there is like, yes, we assembled this plot and this character, you know, we, we figured out all the machinations to make a, a slam dunk story they could not say no to. But in reality, all of that was just our excuse to tell a story about exploring what it means to have a father who gives a shit. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Both of us yeah, have that, very complicated relationships with our dads, and one of the that. things that both of us deal with is the fact that they fucking let us down in a whole yeah. cool way. And we did not... Jake Cisco deserves better, and we know that Avery Brooks wanted Jake Cisco to do better, and we are all Jake Cisco in some way. So it's yeah. like we, just as young men who had grown up loving Star Trek, needed that kind of emotional catharsis in order to feel this like the story was properly complete um so that's the that's our personal yes writing is therapy in case you were wondering (laughs) (laughs) well
3: it's working perfectly um exactly
1: and we're both pretty well well well-rounded people
3: (laughs) (laughs) it's great uh (laughs) no i i really appreciate the story that you guys are telling with that character again like i said he's he's a favorite of mine and seeing him come back and you know seeing that that maturity that we watched him go through for that seven years on the show yeah. has clearly still paid off and I mean he still has a little you know a, a, a little growth to do but I mean you just look at the you guys a second story arc where he's you know deciding to go through with the trial on Cardassia you know mm-hmm. and that's like oh yeah that's definitely an evolved Ben Sisko move that's mm-hmm. not a young Ben Cisco move like that's great no. so, <laughs>
1: yeah you know,
3: I, I love it um Thank you. And you guys just finished your big crossover as well, Day of Blood, which I think you are the first people to tell a crossover with two current ongoing Star mm-hmm. Trek titles in any form.
0: Yeah,
2: like it it,
3: whatsoever it, it, across TV, a- anything, right?
2: It does seem like the first time that that's happened. With with with, with now the exception of Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks. Yeah. Which... Right,
3: but but Day of Blood started beforehand. Well, uh, before. Yeah.
2: Yes, that before so, that episode. It 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 was yes technically it came out before that episode but that's because yeah. comics are are easier to make than uh television <laughs> <laughs> that's
3: fair that's very fair that's um, very, very fair that really but that's neat. amazing
2: we knew we knew that was coming from before we ever wrote issue I think maybe even issue one of Star Trek because we we got on the, yeah because we got on the phone with Mike McMahon. Um, who's an, you know the creator of Lower Decks is an old friend of ours. Um, yeah, we, we, yeah you had mentioned that. Before. We, we, so we got on with him because our original pitch had in the Ensign Sato role had uh Beckett Mariner, right? Okay.
3: And
2: we, and we were like, hey, we're gonna um we're gonna use Beckett Mariner in this like interesting way, and we're gonna like give her some, some backstory because she knows all these people, so like it, it, this this should work, right? Yeah. And mike was like, this very specifically doesn't work because of plans I have. So please don't do it. And we were like, great, who can we use from Lower Decks? Because we need a Lower Decks rep on this show. It's really important, or this this book, like it's really important to us that it, the Avengers of Star Trek also represent Lower Decks because Lower Decks yeah. is a entry point for so many new fans.
1: For
2: sure. um, and like my, my wife got into Star Trek through Lower Decks. I really owe that show. So I want to make sure that it like, and I love it. So I want to make sure that it gets repped here. And um, he was like, well, you can't use any of the memes. Uh, Do you want like Jennifer the Andorian? Like, who do you want? And we, were t- we started talking about Bridge Crew and he told us about, he was like, "Okay, well, I can tell you about this this thing we're doing with Deep Space Nine. He told us about the Deep Space Nine episode and the Keira relationship, which is how Shaxx is in the books so really like, great. Shaxx is perfect. We can we can do like a serious take on Shaxx. It'll be fun. Yeah, he uh, rules. <laughs> so he's so great to he's so great to write. I love that he
3: wrote on top of a starship. He's fucking yeah, he awesome. yeah. <laughs> he uh, up. <giddy-upped.
2: laughs> yeah, that was so. so yeah. But then, um. But then, on top, uh, you know, in having that conversation, we were like, uh, he said, like, and I, I'm going to tell you one other secret. He was like, yeah, and he told us he was like, we're doing this, low, this Lordex crossover. We, we knew about it for like eight months beforehand, and we oh, didn't say anything. We were just like, insane. we were just like, constantly hiding our faces whenever anybody <laughs> talked to us about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm terrible at keeping a secret, so I was like, please. <laughs> <laughs> don't, look, don't look at me don't, don't look at me lower <laughs> decks
3: in my presence <laughs> yeah
2: um uh but we've been yeah we've been so jazzed for them but yeah i mean it's certainly the first time that they've ever done it in comics which has been yeah. a crazy experience that's
3: and that's amazing yeah and it was an incredible
1: opportunity for us to do something that like i think we've been passionate about since the very start of this um when we did um uh, we worked this into star trek year five um and then we did uh star trek aliens uh one shot for klingons that we turned yeah. into story of Kalos. Yeah. Um, so yes. like Klingon mythology, Klingon history, um, and the Klingon, the passion of the Klingon heart has always been something that we were really passionate about. Um, but obviously in a Star Trek book, you need to pay attention primarily to the Federation. That's where the story lives. Yeah. Uh, so Day of Blood was really our chance to kind of start unpacking that and looking at what the what the kind of systemic violence of that culture could actually mean. Uh, and then it just happened to hit right at the same time that our own country was uh, kind of in the middle of a, a shit show, which it still has not. Yeah. Been. Uh, and we found the like political parallels between what we were writing and what we, with the world outside our door and what we were wanting to write, um, started to just work together really synergistically. And, uh, and yeah, and then Day of Blood came to life.
3: Yeah. And that's exactly what we want from our Star Trek is to parallel, you know real life shit <laughs> and give you a better <laughs> context for it. Um, yeah, yeah. So that, I mean, do you guys have plans for, you know, more crossovers between, I, I don't, I don't know how long Cantwell's Defiant book lasts. I hope that also lasts forever uh, because it's so good and it's such a good parallel piece to your guys' story yeah Um, but yeah do you see more like crossover stuff coming like oh yeah
2: star trek and star trek and star trek defiant were pitched from the very beginning as a duo right like that was in our first document after they approved cisco we pitched okay here's star trek and then here's star trek defiant um and and then chris took defiant and made it his own like rebuilt the cast rethought what it was like in the the effective premise was still the same but it became a Chris Cantwell book, which is why, we, which is what we wanted. That's why we we roped him in over here on that book. It, but, it's definitely a Chris Cantwell book. And, <laughs> that's, that's that's, why. And, that's, and that's why, like, it's exactly what it needs to be. Yeah. Um The book, but the books are tied at the at the hip and tied at the brain. Right? Like, they can't yeah. not like we're not going to do one without the other. So as long as Star Trek exists, so will Star Trek Defiant. That's awesome. that's like that. We're set on that one. Um, we we I pl- love that. These books are plotted in advance together. So we know how our arcs interact with his arcs. There's stuff in there's stuff in in Glass and Bone that specifically is going to be paying off in, in Defiant. Like we have a lot of connective tissue Ooh, that's nice. gonna continue on. Um, so the idea of a second crossover is I think very relevant. I think you can see the seeds of that second crossover in Day of Blood uh, if you wanna look for it. Yeah, okay. There's some cool. stuff there that starts to set up what that might look like um, cool. in, in a very like vague way. And then uh, and we know that that's coming, but it's it's a little while out. We're going to let both books play on their own for a bit, um, dig into the, the deeper spaces in between them, and then uh, come back around for something that uh, can really blow out that next section.
3: That's awesome. I I love it. Well, I'm I'm loving what you guys are doing. I'm telling everybody and screaming from the rooftops. Please read this because I need it to last for the rest of my life. <laughs>
2: we really we really appreciate that. You know, I think the the industry is in such a hard space right now that right. having that fan support on Star Trek, having that um, that love that's coming from readers, has been what has sustained the books. Like the books are selling great. Like it's really yeah. um, it's that's it's one of places where we don't worry. Yeah about this book because the fans have shown up and because trade sales are good and because individual issue sales are going up not down and like that cool. you know yeah, you we, like, game game. Of, like game of blood gave us the nice little boost that we needed like the I, we're all going to get to tell the story that we all set out to tell which is awesome that story does not last forever no story can um like no. we, do, we know the end and 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 just within the context of star trek we only have a year and a half yeah. Like within the canon, right? This book <laughs> yeah, exactly. a very specific window in canon because we want the book to be like canonical. Yeah. And so yeah,
1: right. this is coming.
2: Yeah. And Nemesis is coming. So this is coming. So we so we yeah. have to make sure that we are lined up properly to hand off to Nemesis and ideally enhance Nemesis, right? Which is yeah. always yeah. the goal. Is like what we're trying to Don't do with the, Nemesis is have a thing where if you love Star Trek, this then enhances any Star Trek you watch, if you're if you're yes. watching Lower deck now, you understand shit about Shaqs that you didn't otherwise understand. Mm-hmm. If you're going back to Deep Space Nine now, you're getting the ending for Cisco that you never got previously. If you are a if you're a next gen person and you've been tracking Data's arc, and you want that Data sacrifice yes. in Nemesis again, spoiler alert: Data dies in Nemesis. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I, if you want his death to mean more, maybe than it means in Nemesis this book ideally helps you get there. But also, right?
1: if you want to understand more of, like, the synthesis, he kind of is going to be going, he goes through in Picard, like... It, yes, exactly. We are also
2: very much in conversation with Picard 3. We, we were just... Uh, we they were just so very with that. yeah.
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like, we live in this halcyon age of a lot of Star Trek content all kicking ass, and CBS sitting at the center of it, understanding what they've got, and doing their best to help synergize between all the stories. God, yeah, it's that.
3: the most alive that line I think has ever been in my lifetime. Like it's you know, there's awesome. so much Star Trek coming out right now. It's kind of incredible. It it's is. all
1: rad. It's um, it's really an honor. Yeah, um,
3: I, I I I'm bummed that we
2: don't have as much ability to utilize Strange New Worlds as a huge fan of strange worlds and like Uh,
3: it's so good and
2: (laughs) and we have a lot of we have a lot of friends in that room and and it's a it's a really like it's a tight group of people who are doing a really great job at star trek and i would love to be able to answer it and support it and 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 bring it in but as similar to discovery it's kind of time locked in these places that make it tough and so how how we connect that said we did crack it so there is there is a great little bit of strange new world synergy coming. Um cool. One of our books. I don't want to I don't want to say which one or-
3: cool. I hope that old Ortega shows up just to punch Tom Paris in the mouth because that'd be <laughs> sick. That'd be so tight.
2: <laughs> From your mouth to Q's ears. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I
3: think mean, that'd be real tight. Um,
1: I love my boy Tom Paris, but Ortega does kick ass and Tom Paris would use a bop in the nose. Tom Paris
2: definitely used the autopilot more than an Ortegas does. So <laughs> I,
3: I, I... Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> you guys have totally turned me around yep. on Tom Paris.
2: I want the two of them to do that race from Lower Decks uh, where, where um, Rutherford <laughs> racing himself. I want I want to just see the two <laughs> them racing each other through the depths. Yeah,
3: yeah. Oh, Ortega's uh, will yeah. smoke them. I
2: don't want to say anything yeah. He, he yeah.
3: <laughs> She's yeah. A, a legend.
1: Yeah, 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 um, yeah.
3: What I she though, flies
2: the ship.
1: I yeah. oh, just want to piggyback off something you said, though, because obviously, you know, like, we've got two amazing gentlemen here doing this great podcast, and we've got one who's, like, very much on the, like, you know, cap side, big two, and I'm sure, Morgan, you love that shit, too, but, like, also Star Trek, right? Like, hell yeah. What we're finding is that there are big two fans. There are superhero fans and there are Star Trek fans. And there is very little Venn diagram crossover between the two, um, which is just something that like irks the shit out of us. because <laughs> You know, trying to write a Star Trek book that can appeal to even people who don't like Star Trek. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's my way of like putting it on your radar is that like you guys are doing the Lord's work right? Getting people who only like one kind of thing and trying to get them to accept this other flavor um, is exactly, and like, once you start reading Star Trek, you're not going to be like, oh, I hate this. It's like, no, it rips, man. Yeah, yeah. It's getting them them to get that first taste uh, mm -hmm. so that they can fall in love. And I feel like having passionate gentlemen who are here to like kind of sing the song of both uh, is exactly what the book needs in order to keep finding its audience, in order to keep growing its numbers.
3: Well, I appreciate you. I can't believe you just said that I'm the emissary. That's amazing.
0: <laughs> and I can't wow. believe you called us gentlemen either. That was I know. This is right? a great day. Man. What a great new comic book day. I Listen, love this. I've been
3: I've been pitching everybody as Day of Blood feels very much like the end act of a Mission Impossible movie. You yes, know? he has. Uh, it's, He's used it's those very exact words. Star Trek words. Mission Impossible, which <laughs> is like it, it's awesome. It's so so fun. So I I just want everybody to read the books. They're they're so goddamn good. Um, you know what
1: I kind of consider it the end of Act 1 for, like, the story that we're telling, right? Yeah, like now
3: uh, that, yeah, yeah. Year 1 like, kind of built to that, so that makes sense. In this new direction.
1: Well, I think I think
2: what's been really exciting about uh, looking back at it is, your Mission Impossible references is really interesting, because Star Trek is um Star Trek can be so many things, and I think Star Trek fans know that, but I think people from outside of Star Trek, um and even some Star Trek fans, frankly, uh, because they gate themselves from their specific part of Star Trek, right? Which is a yeah. thing and I'm not going to love what you love right i'm not yes, for sure but what i think is interesting is that you get star trek fans who or or just people who like can see star trek as just a bunch of people in carpeted rooms talking about science and then you have star trek fans who are like it's only the jj verse it's only like action adventure fun crazy and then there's star trek that's um really all about, like, aliens and, like, the weird alien stuff and, like, getting into the strange, uh, uh get, you know, investigating what a Klingon is or what a Romulan is or, like, really getting into those worlds. DS9 is really great at that with the Cardassians specifically and with the Klingon. Yeah. Um yeah, the Sort of politics and social anthropology stuff, which tends to be, I think, where we're drawn a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, but the thing that start, the idea... Ideally, is that Star Trek can be all of those things, and it can pivot, and it can shift, and it can be this over here, and it can be this over here, and it can be this. so sometimes Star Trek is fun, and sometimes Star Trek is intellectual, and sometimes Star Trek is thrilling, and sometimes Star Trek is uh, <laughs> sad, sad or yeah. emotional, yeah. like sometimes. <laughs> so excited. Sometimes Star yeah. Trek is straight up comedy. Like Star Trek can be all kinds of things because that's how it pivots, and I think that the thing that we really love about Day of Blood is that it gave us an opportunity to say Star Trek can be an event comic, right? Star Trek can be, Mm. yes, I know that you don't think of Star Trek as being a thing where um, the characters are all split up across a planet and they all have to run and jump and fight and shoot to like get out of a thing that doesn't seem like a very Star Trek answer to the problem. It's a lot of violence going on around them. And so what we really endeavored to do with Day of Blood is be like, no, 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 the violence is everywhere because Klingons are violent. And like in this particular context, like the Klingons have, have, have unleashed their most violent impulses and they are just going ham on the on, on each other. Yeah. Our people are caught in the middle of that and trying to find nonviolent solutions to violent problems and occasionally having to rise to that violence, unfortunately. But by and large, I think what, what you'll see by the end of the finale, right, is that it's not, it's a nonviolent solution. It's a nonviolent end- solution, yeah. It's not beat k in a Batleth competition. You're never going to do that. That's not the move. The move here is find a way to Star Trek him. How do you how do you have the answer here be something that comes from um, science and hope and optimism? And I think as long as that sort of gets to sit, then yeah, it can be Mission Impossible. It can be anything, as long as the, the, the soul of Star Trek remains inside of it, and I think that's the the really fun thing about um each arc is we get to experiment with that, right? Arc one, big crazy cosmic, and almost every issue is a one off. Arc two, four issues, and we're gonna do that all that social social anthropology, uh, uh, politics stuff, uh, emotional cul- cul- culpability. Yep, yeah. with some like big violent stuff. Arc three, a day of blood. Even bigger violent stuff, but we're going to answer it non-violently, as opposed to Arc 2, which we kind of answer with violence.
1: Uh, and yeah. so it is said, I mean, like, how many glorious Batliths fight? I don't think there's <laughs> 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 how many glorious Batliths fights.
3: <laughs> Let Martong do his bathless stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on.
2: Uh, but, then, but then I think, you know, then we get we get into Arc 4, and Arc 4 is going to be really fun because I think it's a really nice combination of the of again these these elements that um, that glass and bone is designed around this idea of looking at a new species a, a species that's been indicated by Star Trek a lot the Zenkefi, but never actually yes, been but never
3: actually shown yeah
2: STO. and we're using we're we're sort of handing between our our own ideas and some of the stuff produced in STO because I really like their ship designs for instance um, so uh, while yeah. Kathy don't look the same as STO because we're doing some different stuff than them we did use their ship designs um, for the core fleet because we thought that was like that was really cool we might as well. Um, okay. But uh, as we're doing as we're doing that, the big question of that book is like, OK, so can it be emotional and sad? Yep. Can it be thrilling and and, and, and violent in like that action e-comics way that you kind of want your comics? Absolutely. Can it also be a political story that we don't answer with violence? Yes. Like, can it can all of these things all exist at once and kind of try to balance each other out? Um, and that's been the sort of the challenge of Glass and Bonus. we have six issues. It's one arc. You know, we're not going anywhere. Like, that's six issues on Zenkath. And we are going to really essay a place, which we haven't done on this book yet, um, and which is a very traditional Star Trek thing. And so we're kind of getting that flavor in here now, well, which and, has been really fun.
1: And one of the exciting things is also what they're going to discover on Zenkath is um, unlike the Klingon people who um are kind of incited into this massive amount of violence, the Zenkathi embrace it as part of their culture, mm-hmm. right? So, like, the question becomes... How do you respect a native culture, which is the entire core of Star Trek, when yeah. that culture is fundamentally anti and against everything that you kind of stand for? Um, so that question of how can be re- we how can we be violent but also respectful forces our crew into a really complicated gray area, uh, and then that gray area is definitely going to be where the issue. Is. Yeah, you know, that's, you know, that's where
2: that's where the story.
1: Yeah. yeah. said uh, at. at there is, there is one point where one of our Federation officers is twin-wielding space rifles <laughs> and fucking flying <laughs> wildly into a fucking chaos zone. So, like, hell yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I did think it was interesting that Harry Kim was dressed like uh, like cum- Cumberbatches when we first see Khan in, uh, yep. in yep. Into Darkness with like the yep. big old cloak and everything. He's got the giant rifle. I was like, "Oh, that's a specific choice." <laughs>
2: <Interesting>. <laughs> we, are, we got a we got a, we got a thing to say about Harry Kim, yeah. and it's really going to be like kind of a centerpiece of of this arc because uh, awesome. he is a character. Uh, I feel like almost every Star Trek character was allowed to grow and change, except for Harry Kim. Except
3: for Harry Kim, yes, <laughs> and Tom Paris to a degree, but yes,
2: Tom got married and had a kid. He accepted yeah. responsibility and found you a know way.
3: What? You're right. You know what I mean, he
2: had an arc. It yeah, wasn't. You're it wasn't. Right. He does an have an arc. His personality didn't change, but he yeah, yeah. accepted a certain amount of of growing older, which is a big part of what this arc is you're
1: about. Right. Um, we, we, you know, obviously like. There's some people who have a lot of love for Harry Kim. Um, Most people accept Harry Kim as like kind of the butt of a joke. Um, But I saw a there was this we passed along with each other a convention video of of um, of Garrett uh, uh, going sword to sword with Ray Park. Uh, And like yeah, Ray Park was they were doing signings next to each other, and someone was like. Garrett, you know swords, and he's like, Yeah, I do. And Ray was like, Oh shit, let's fucking do it. And, he was like, sure. and they both pull out lightsabers, and like he's fuck he was the fucking truth, like he was keeping it toe-to-toe. But really? It was so fucking funny. Cool. And that was just like that's Harry Kim. He got oh he, yeah, he, Voyager was his journey, and then he he got badass.
3: Yeah, and it yeah.
1: Was, Actor deserves that, like the character deserves that. So we really wanted to give him that glow up to the the kind of personality, um, the kind of person we knew he could be once he moves past ensign.
2: But then also showcase why that's a dangerous thing to become in Starfleet. Yep. Um. Th- mm. There. Are- things about being a badass in Starfleet that tend to get you in trouble um, morally and and that tend to like blur the line between what Starfleet's objectives are, its ideals and its, between its ideals and its objectives. And I think that that's a really like, that's a big conversation over the course of this book and like how we manage um, that is going to be, I think, a big part of the book. So I don't want to talk too much about it because it is like the core of it, um, but it's going to be, I, I'm really excited for people to kind of see how that builds and how we start to question that idea of like, evolved humanity which is so at the center of, of gene roddenberry's vision of star trek it's like what makes yeah. it unique and, and specific is like it is a it's a utopia where we have become better people but it's like yeah i mean we have but that doesn't mean that we don't have black ops we have section 31 like it doesn't mean that we don't have morally complicated choices it, be- it doesn't mean we don't engineer biogenic viruses that we introduce into the fountain
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs>
2: Don't do some really can, shady can shit. can
1: be better people without being the best people.
2: And, and and what does evolution mean in that context? So when we talk about the Zankethi as like being sort of defined by violence, that's not entirely correct. They're defined by evolution.
1: Yeah.
2: They have a really specific feeling of what evolution means, which we're going to get into a lot in issue 14. Exactly. Um they have a really specific concept of what their evolution means what evolution means as a concept it, they think of it the way that klingons think of honor or the way that uh, romulans think of deceit or the way that cardassians think of the state like it's a it's it's the centerpiece of their culture but it means something fundamentally different to them than it means to the to to humans in the federation or to anyone else and so what we're trying to what we're trying to do is kind of meet the, like the the other title of this book could be evolution right like that's that's what this arc is about it's about defining that understanding it um and coming to grips with the the distinction between the way that, that um our federation characters would like to think of evolution and what evolution actually means and and how those two things um again can get caught between objective and and, and intention
1: star trek Evolution would have fit on a title. On it would have been, been a better title for the yeah. trade, yeah. Uh,
3: you, you can still make that the title for the trade. That's fine.
1: You can play any time.
3: You can
2: put
0: A Savage World in Glass and Bone on the cover of a comic. Uh, <laughs> you, you could do one of those really fun gimmicks where it like wraps around the cover. Ooh,
1: yeah. You know, those wraparounds.
0: You, go. you got to collect them all. There
1: you Some, go. You a more kickass touchy. It's
0: a kick-ass title,
2: but Star Trek yeah. Evolution probably fit better on the top on
1: that <laughs> yeah that works
0: but but uh, but i do love what you said about like bringing in people from all walks and all fandoms when it comes to star trek because y'all when you were you were saying about ds9 being the best i'm sitting over here as a little voyager baby and i'm like
1: yeah but i i like i like i like the space station i <laughs> i like this with my entire shit until i watched ds9 god damn no, oh, that's why that's why Tom Paris is my boy, right? That's why Paris yeah. is so, um, or Torres is so intrinsic to Defiant. Like sure. Voyager, Voyager happened, and Voyager is a massive change to the Star yeah. Trek flow that is all too often kind of ignored. Once again, because we don't really have a story that takes place after their return. Right. It's this and, then and this now and now Picard and, like, three and Picard three and yeah, Pro- true. Right. Right. Like, but. This was our chance to really pay homage to it. Um, there's a, there's a, I cannot say anything about it, but there's some <laughs> later seasons of Voyager that I and I alone think is totally kick-ass.
2: There might be something he brings up literally every time we break a new story. Little <laughs> time, I'm oh, like,
3: oh really? <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, and then finally, like, I think I think it's gonna, I, I think he's gonna get it in. I think we, wow, I think,
3: wow, I'm excited. Yeah,
2: what we're gonna do with it? Um, so. Cool.
3: I'm Listen, really, Jamie showed up in 13, and I was like, oh, yay! <laughs> I like, right. you know
2: Look, so, I, and, and like p- completely public Maya culpa on this a little bit, uh, I am sort of, uh, I've been pretty unabashedly like not the world's biggest Voyager fan. I, I, I wasn't a big fan of it when it right? aired. Um, Fair. I, uh, I watched it, you know, first run like as a young man, like, I, I, and I was coming off of Deep Space Nine, and Voyager just didn't that's do it a for
1: long me. way to do it.
2: Exactly, yeah. Agreed. Yeah,
3: that's
2: I how didn't. I did it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, so it, and, and honestly, it is much easier to go from next-gen to Voyager and then go back to Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. It, it goes straight through Deep Space Nine to Voyager. Voyager feels like a really weird, like, sort of return to form um, in, like, yeah. kind of way, I think. Um, that said, where I was absolutely wrong about that um, is that uh, Janeway rocks. Not only does she rock, yeah. she is really fun to write, and her voice is very specific. Yes. So uh, the minute yes. that we, the minute we sat down to write that scene... I was like, shit, I wish Janeway was like in our book all the time. Cause the way she <laughs> She has such an so interesting, good. um, she has such an interesting cadence. She has such a cool um like 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 one-liners come out of her really easy. I like, I don't know, it was really interesting how how uh how much oh, that yeah. that Mulgrew um sort of smiley yeah. right just immediately became apparent, even to somebody who isn't. Yeah of that show yeah. uh so it, it was kind of an awakening for me and then again th- there are more voyager characters coming in glass and bone um and, <sighs> uh, and getting to write that voice as well was was really exciting so it's a it's been cool. this arc has kind of been me uh learning yeah. what colin has always known which is that these characters regardless of, the, of of the series inside of which they operated or the structure inside of which they operated these characters
0: were were all really kick ass and deserved some yeah. time and what you want to talk about, Colin? Telling us we're doing the Lord's work. Colin is doing the Lord's work by yes, exactly. by, <laughs> spread, by spreading that Voyager love. It, it makes me it makes me very happy. But help like, me, we do this again, and I have to say,
2: like, and now I love Nelex. Like my, <laughs> I can't wait for you guys to uh,
3: write two dicks into it.
1: But we can all appreciate how lower Decks, that made the ultimate statement on tuvex i mean just like any in-
3: <laughs> you know what you're right you're right
1: i'm saying no one should ever touch that concept again don't nope, we're good
3: yeah that's it yep and yep. yeah
0: and 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 listener you know getting into this and really just seeing and listening to just the passion of this i find, like colin hit the nail on the head like i have been like on the periphery and Malcolm has been, you know, banging the drum and literally banging on my door. He has to go home at some point, um, about these (laughs) start about these Star Trek comics. Um, while we're recording this, um, I just ordered the, the trades. So those are on the way to me now. Um, and listen, you should do this as well, because I have been sleeping more than I should have. And I, I am stoked on this. I am very, very excited. I can't wait. Uh, I'm I'm so excited to get it. Yeah.
1: It's also- yes. To your, to your fine audience, they also just released this hardcover of the yes. Star Trek year five.
2: Listener, if you can't see this, Colin is holding what is easily the most beautiful printing of any book we've ever worked on. That's it's so a beautiful cool.
3: hardcover. Holy shit. God
1: dang. Stories in it absolutely kick ass. Um, we're bringing the same, we brought the same kind of passion for Star Trek. Um, to these original characters with the very important kind of distinction of the energy of tos is just different mm-hmm. right yeah. a little yeah. bit more of a western it's a little bit more shoot from the hip to um,
2: some degree it's a little bit more of a military
1: drama for and sure it also allows itself to be poetic in a lot of beautiful times um so yeah if people are loving what we're doing Uh, Highly
2: recommend. I I really recommend picking up Year Five to anybody who's picking up, who's who's reading Star Trek right now, because um, it's also connective. Uh, It's not like we. It's not like we did Year Five in a vacuum, and then we did Flagship. We wanted to do Flagship. We couldn't do it because they were launching all the new TV stuff, like Picard and all the stuff. Like the first thing we pitched was Flagship, and they were like, they were like, no, you you can do an eight pager in way in waypoint and we did our data spot story and then that's where they were or like 10 pager and then that's where we got year five from and so we did year five and we were like we think this is the only star trek we're, we're ever going to do so we're going to play with everything we want to play with we want to do red like red path is first mentioned, it's first in, mentioned star,
3: in that. Right? Mm.
2: like we have we At have
3: the same a, time as the theseus
2: yeah the uss yeah is in Star Trek 13 well before we knew that we were going to get to do flagship but we were building connective tissue so that we could reasonably go back to it and play with it later if we ever got to have our dream gig and then we got the dream gig and so we managed to be able to take this stuff and move it forward so um i mean there's stuff in arc 5 like there's like people like characters in arc 5 that are Straight up out of year five. So if you haven't read year oh. five, there's gonna be stuff that in in five that might get lost on you. So I really recommend people pick up year five because it's going to be that is like, actually
1: wildly true. It's
2: actually like oh. kind of prereq reading. <laughs> <laughs> big for like a big part of the fifth arc of, of, of flagship. Okay,
1: Star Trek, Aliens, k-less was or Klingons was a prequel to Day of Blood. You could really consider all of Star Trek Year Five to be a prequel to Arc Five.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And and do a lot of Spock's arc in Defiant too. I think that's nice. Is it's like, like what's really nice is that Spock's yeah. character sits alongside the whole run and Scotty's characterization sits along the run. So there are there are certain stuff, there are like characters that you can follow if you're interested in that. But otherwise, yeah, there's a there's a really just specific plot thing that's gonna be like, oh, I don't know what this is. But if you've read year five, you're like, you know everything about this, which is really cool. Yeah. Hello, oh,
3: Jackson. Yeah. You look like Scotty right now. That's what it is. Oh yeah. Oh, there it is. Yeah. It's the. It's it's the. It's like the engineer, you know, with the circle belly, Scotty. I, yeah. I, like I, I like that.
2: better than Han Solo. So I mean, I'm, That's, I'm That's fair. That's sick.
3: All right. Yeah, we nailed it. Ultimately, uh, uh,
2: so cool to see that character pop in on Strange New Worlds. I'm so jazzed. Oh, and like, Blade oh my
3: god, yes,
2: my, like, I was so psyched, uh, and
3: yes.
2: I was really jazzed because like. The minute he talked, not only was I like, "Oh shit," but my wife, who two years ago hadn't watched a single Star Trek and didn't care about any of this, she's we watching Stranger Worlds with me. She turns to me and goes, <gasps> oh,
1: oh, <laughs> <laughs> "Oh, yeah,
3: we did
1: it, boys! We yeah, did keep
3: trickling it. <laughs> in the cast of the OG. Like keep trickling them in, just little by little. Give me one more new person every time. It feels, I'm, it feels, I'm like, that.
2: it feels like that's basically what. Like, and I, this is me with no yeah. knowledge." Like, That just feels like what they're doing on that show, yeah, and I love it. That's great, that's a great idea. This version of it, where by the end of Strange New Worlds, by Strange New Worlds 7 or whenever they decide to end it, yeah. they, can, they can then launch Star Trek,
3: Star Trek, exactly, with Paul Wesley. And yeah, let's do it. Sounds and
2: good, <laughs> effectively remake TOS, but with this with new cast in context, yeah, yeah with the new cast that you've assembled. Um, and uh, honestly, considering how much I adore ethan peck spock now oh
3: my god he's best spock so good. <laughs> like, <holy shit. laughs>
2: he's, he's so good. good he's so good and he's, he's so good the the uh, spock was the episode that made me fall in love with that <laughs>
3: <Yep>. <laughs>
2: yep. episode to get me in but they 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 really did it
3: yeah he's a cutie Anyway,
2: we should probably end there because I'm I, we're up against it. I'm yeah, so sorry we're, we're, that we just talked against about it. Star Trek.
3: No,
0: no, I am so glad we did. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so glad we did. I am, I am, gassed as hell. Uh, and, and it just gives us an excuse to bring you all back for. Uh,
2: yeah. uh,
3: Look, let's
0: come, let's come back when we can actually talk about outsiders. Yes, then, yeah, we want to yes, talk about please. outsiders and we want to talk about thunderbolts because <laughs> I am. You... I need to say to both of you, as an individual, I'm so glad shang Chi is in a book. Yes, and I'm so glad that he's there, and I just I can't wait to see what you do with my boy.
2: We're we're really jazzed. Um, getting him back to uh the like espionage roots is going to be yes. A blast. Yes, I, I look, I'm looking forward for for people, especially issue three. Issue three is the Shanti issue, and it, it's yes, gonna, it's going to be really because like that's Thunderbolts is like every character in Thunderbolts is only in two issues, except for Bucky and Val. Everyone mm-hmm. else is
1: like a part-time player. If you want so, to watch the Justice League Unlimited. That's kind of how we're. Personally- oh my god! Fuck
2: yeah! <laughs> so so, Sh- shanchi's are, are is issue three, and it, it's gonna be it's gonna be really fun. I'm really excited for people to see what's up. Um, but outsiders oh. we have to be like like I can talk to you about Thunderbolts all day long. Outsiders, we have to be mad cagey about. Ooh. Uh, to talk about it too much is to ruin really important aspects of the book that we'd rather you experience in the book. So, oh, yeah. literally, all I keep saying to people is like, don't sleep on it. Like
3: okay, so like, well, maybe we have you come back after the first issue comes out. I think I think
2: that would probably be really cool because then we can. I, I love that idea.
3: And if
1: anyone is a fan of what we're doing on any of our titles, just go out to your local comic book shop and be like, "I've heard there's this book, Outsiders. I don't know shit about it, but I hear it's hot." Really, like-.
2: people should pre-order this book. I think it's. I I, I think once people figure out what we're doing, it's it's um it might be a hard book to find. <laughs> it is.
3: It or, is on my list. I'm ready. For it, baby.
0: I'm I'm stoked about it. And you know what? The entire Star Trek talk. I was so excited about and just hearing thunderbolts is going to get the jlu treatment that's my log line i'm good i'm so excited to see all the success that you guys are having Uh, i can't wait to have you guys back here and it really does make us as as fellow we established this last episode uh, as fellow steve boys it just makes our hearts sing to see fellow steve boys just doing doing the work and being absolutely appreciated for it so
1: in a way that Steve Rogers would be proud of us. We might be writing a little blue for him. I think he'd probably like a little bit more of a, like a, a kind kind some books, but, uh, (laughs) We'll of the that we're bringing down boys today. why
2: did guardians of the galaxy have to be so sad did it really have to be oh
0: the- man <laughs> we're gonna have to have like a therapy session about guardians at some point because <laughs> like i have a lot of things i need to get off my chest <laughs> uh, when outsiders is out that book will be done and we'll have a nice little uh, uh
2: we're
1: gonna have
0: a great chat we're a good rundown okay, on
1: that. Just, okay yeah. Oh
0: yeah um we know you guys are busy have a wonderful rest of your time uh Thank y'all you so go buy all of the hive mind books they're incredible and we'll see you right back here but until then live long and prosper
3: yeah <laughs> <laughs> time is every thing
0: Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Oh, it is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review things weekly. And this week we are reviewing episode number five of Loki season two entitled science fiction. And y'all, this was the best episode of the entire season. I I thought, mmm, there was so many good things about this. (laughs) I talked last week about how I was feeling a little bereft with the show. I didn't know how they were going to land the plane. I had pined for more time with certain characters, and they did it. They hooked me back in with this episode, and what they do with this episode is they go against the pacing of this season where it's just been frantic, like go, 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 one thing after another, and they slow everything down. This episode is a character piece on Loki, it's a character piece on Sylvie. It's a character piece on all of our main cast, and it is so much stronger for it. While I do wish that the season had been more like this, uh, it makes what this episode does hit harder because we've been rushing from crisis to crisis in this season. And what I mean by that is we get time to spend with these characters, and not just as they are, it's as they as they were, who they were before they came to the TVA. It's been a running, um, it's been a running mystery, I guess you could say, uh, throughout this season and really last season once variants and all that stuff was introduced on who these characters were before they were brought to the TVA. Because as we found out, every person who was in the TVA was a variant and, Certain characters looked back on their lives, where they were, where they came from. Certain characters like Mobius didn't want to look. But in this episode, with the destruction of the TVA, the temporal loom exploding, everyone is more or less just shunted back into where they came from. Whether it's in the past of their, previous, of their personal timeline or just reset back to where they were... Uh, we get to see Loki navigate several different branch timelines going through all of these, um, all of these lives that his friends have lived before they met him. Uh, Loki's time slipping his back and he, he he still can't control it for most of the episode. And so that provides a really nice narrative uh, push, a narrative tool to allow him to visit all of these timelines uh, one after another. And we finally get to see where these characters come from and why they are who they are. Uh, for B-15, she was a doctor in New York in 2012. I don't know if this is pre or post uh, Battle New York, but in her timeline at least. And you get to see this caring, compassionate individual that she was and she grew to be. I mean, I wouldn't put her in charge of a crisis, but, you know, she she's, she's a very caring person. And we get to see... Characters like uh, Casey, who we find out was a real-life person named Frank, one of the three inmates to escape Alcatraz way, way back. That was really fun. Uh, They did the same thing with Loki uh, being revealed as D.B. Cooper last, um, last season, and to have characters be you know real life characters and real life people in the timeline gets to play with time travel and I love that I really really do uh the most time we spend though is with kind of our our big three aside from Loki in this that being uh Mobius Ouroboros or Obi and Sylvie for Mobius we find out the root of his obsession with jet skis and um, and other water vehicles is that he was a used jet ski salesman and he was named Don in his original timeline and he was a single father of two kids living in Ohio and it's kind of heartbreaking to see this character and find out where he gets a lot of his stuff whether it's his uh, penchant for recommending and loving jet skis whether it's his ability to see into people and what they want to be rather than who they're trying to be um Mobius has always kind of had exhausted dad energy but now we know where it comes from which is really nice I just I loved getting to dive into his story and really see him in his element just as this exhausted dad who is the person who rejects the call Uh, it's classic storytelling tropes of rejecting the call to to adventure and he is eventually brought in by loki and then i mean ovi ovi being i think his name is ad doug Uh, he is a he is a he he is a uh not super successful author slash professor at caltech who in uh, theoretical physics who immediately just buys into Loki Loki's explanation. And then we, we get to do this really fun thing with time travel and I love time travel stories. I've talked about it before. I love time travel stories where Loki time slips, leaving a D the uh, the manual for the TVA time slips straight over to uh, a different timeline with, um, with Don with uh Mobius in his original life. Uh and he's talking to him and then a, uh a time door opens up and A D steps through with this gigantic like Yu-Gi-Oh dual disc looking uh temp pad and he's like, Yeah, I built it and Loki's like, Whoa, that was fast. He's like, I don't know if you call nineteen months fast. And it's just one of those things that I love that you could play around off screen. AD spent 19 months of his life, lost his marriage, lost his job, but he created the first time machine that can also go through space. Like, holy shit, no wonder he became OB. And so, Loki collects all of these people because he thinks this is the way to save everybody. This is the way to save the TVA. And Obi has this really great line where he's like, with science, it's all about who and what. And where, but with fiction, it's why. So why are you doing this? And that provides the uh the character and narrative crux of the entire show. And so Loki realizes at the end, like, I have to go find Sylvie and find Sylvie in Broxton in that timeline, which I'm assuming wasn't pruned, or maybe it was and everything was reset, who knows? But just Sophia DiMartino finally gets to act in, <laughs> in this episode, which which might be unfair to say, but the entire season has just been her being angry, and I hate the TVA, it needs to burn, everyone needs to, you know, I need to kill people, but in this episode, we finally get to see her, you know, strut her chops like she did in the entire season one, and she's like, this is, like, my life, like, I have pined for nothing else but just a regular honest life where I can just be free to do what I want go where I want and not have to be looking over my shoulder the whole time they go to this bar in Broxton and they get to the heart of why Loki wants to do this the why of it all right and after like poking and prodding and pushing and pushing and pushing Loki finally says why do I want to do this I don't want to be alone I miss my friends I want my friends back. And Sylvie is just like, then we're. I guess we're both selfish. And the idea that these two characters are so wildly different and yet they're both low-key is something that I have been fascinated with from the jump. And this reignited that interest and that fascination. And having uh, Sofia DiMartino actually get to emote and get to go through... The motions and act and really breathe in her scenes, rather than running from scene to scene, sword in hand, really is just it perfectly encapsulates why she was the perfect cast f- for this character. And after Loki gets his soul destroyed and he's like, this whole mission was a lie, he goes back to um, to uh, 80s workshop where he gets to, where he's gathered all of the all of the people. We get this great scene that's legit terrifying where we get to see Sylvie living her life in Broxton. She goes to this record store. There's a guy who always knows her. She goes and sits on the couch and she listens to a record as everything starts to spaghettify around her. And it's as terrifying as those moments in uh, Infinity War and in Endgame and all the moments that we've come to know as like the dusting, the snap. And it is legitimately terrifying because there's, n- it, it's less like just this and something is gone, but it's like this wave. It's, it's like the antimatter wave in Crisis on Infinite Earths, where everything is just like spaghettiing in like this push towards the center. And it's legit terrifying. And so when, Sylvie turns around, and her good friend who runs the record store is trying to get to her, and is like, Sylvie, look out, and gets spaghettified. You feel it. This is what I was talking about in episode two, where they're like, oh, all these branches are being pruned. Those are people. We didn't give a shit about those people because we didn't see them. We didn't get to spend any time with them. Here, we got to spend time in Broxton, which is such a fucking important place for thor comics and seeing all those people seeing those locations the mcdonald's the bar the record store getting to spend time with certain characters like it made this have weight and so when everything gets spaghettified and sylvie has to leave her new life behind you feel the weight of it you feel her despair and her silent resignation to okay this was worse than i thought and I have to leave this behind to go try and fix this. And so at the conclusion of all this, Loki is able to finally get control of his time slipping. So now he can just travel time. He has achieved a certain amount of godhood that he could only dream of beforehand. He has elevated himself from from the god of mischief into, I mean, the god of stories, which he is now in the in the comics. They They talk about it, I guess, where it's like, what is my function if I don't have my friends? And Sylvia's like, well, we're all writing our own stories now. And I'm like, well, there we go. (laughs) So I really, I really loved that. And, it does the perfect thing that a time travel episode should do, where it resets you back to the beginning of the episode slash the conclusion of last week's episode, where as everything is starting to spaghettify around him, he realizes, okay, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, and he starts trying to lock in and lock on to that moment right before the loom exploded, and we get all these quotes, we hear people talking, and we get this quote from the first season that I loved, I think I talked about it, it's been so long at this point but i loved that when sylvie when they were having their heart to heart on that planet that i can't remember the name of uh sylvie says do you think that what makes a loki is the fact we're destined to lose or something like that and loki decides not today and he (laughs) opens his eyes and he's right back to where he was right before the loom explodes and he has a chance to change it and i'm like oh it's hype as fuck great episode my favorite episode of the season so far and i'm very excited to see how they land this plane this week um it's gonna be incredible so i'm very excited uh looking forward to it so catch me next week when we talk about the finale of loki season two uh but for now let's roll right on into this week's comics countdown Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown for the week of November 8th, 2023. This is the segment of our show where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comicsology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we gotta take a bo- look but before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Splane pick of the week of last week. And I mean, Ultimate Universe number one was freaking amazing, right? It was so good. I am so excited for all of the Ultimate Universe news. I'm so excited to get into this this world and learn more about these characters and the status quos everything was set up perfectly and so ultimate universe one is incredible but i also need to take some time and talk for a second about spirit world number six spirit world number six is the final issue of the series and this story was so freaking incredible it's my favorite out of the we are legends initiative and And I wholeheartedly love this story, and I will be sharing it with everyone that I know because it was a love letter to finding a place that you belong. It was a love letter to Asian creators telling Asian stories in comics, and I am immensely, immensely proud of Alyssa Wong and the whole team for creating a character and creating a story that spoke to me and spoke to a lot of other people. In so many ways. So I cannot thank the whole team enough for this story. I will be gifting collections of it to everyone that I know. Because if you're not reading it, remember, I'll be in your walls. I'll be under your bed. I will be in your earbuds. You think you're hearing me just from an audio perspective? No. I'm physically inside your headphones right now. Just be aware. Just be aware. Stay safe out there. But... I. (laughs) I love that story. It's so good. Y'all, go, go if you haven't yet, and if you haven't yet, I'll find you, uh, go read all six issues of Spirit World and make sure you grab the trade when it does come out. But that's last week. This week, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight books for you to check out. So let's kick things off with God's number two. This is written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Valerio Shetty and i I am curious. I would love to know how everyone is feeling after that first issue because that first issue was a lot. And I recognize that it's a polarizing it's a polarizing thing to have your first issue be 10 dollars. <laughs> but again, we talked about this when that first issue came out. If they had just, you know, I guess marketed it as, Hey, this is kind of like the firepower prelude volume that gives you everything you need to know. Um, I think it would have, I don't think it would have gotten the hate that it got. But now that everyone has read it, I would love to know what people think about that first issue, because Jonathan Hickman is going buck wild, and it would not surprise me if this book somehow connected with his Ultimate Universe stuff, because as we know, Johnny Hicks loves interconnecting stories, so... We'll just have to see. I enjoyed that first issue. It was a lot of setup and a lot of getting every, you know, getting all the pieces on the board. But I'm excited to see where they go with it. So let's dig into the synopsis. The Centum normally has 25 primes. Now only three remain. College isn't worth the time or the money. There's a hidden book in the hidden library that hides a hidden door. Cubisk Core is from Georgia. Like that matters. I don't know what the hell this synopsis is saying, but I'm very excited. Next up, we have Batman number 139, the conclusion of the... Uh, uh, Gotham War, the Bat-Cat War, is behind us. This is written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Jorge Jimenez, and we are now back to the main event of Batman Stories, and Chip is able to continue his, uh, his subtle and slow breaking down of Batman, but with a brand new player that he hasn't been able to touch yet. So let's... Uh, Let's maybe jump into the synopsis and figure out who that new player is. Following the cataclysmic events of the Gotham War, Batman finds himself completely isolated from his family, struggling to keep the rage of Zur in check. But he can't stop because he's out there, haunting the city, taunting the Dark Knight, the Joker. And the new Batman is ready to stop him once and for all. Mind Bomb Begins. So Mind Bomb is a pretty cool name for a story. We've heard this story before, though. The final confrontation between Batman and the Joker... Batman has been isolated and now he must face the Joker alone. We've seen this before. So I am excited to see how uh, Zdarsky and Jimenez rise to the challenge and tell a new story. Speaking of new stories, we've got a brand new number one here. We got Punisher number one. This is written by David Pupose with art by Dave Wachter. And I'm actually very interested in this. Uh, not the least of which because the last Punisher run by uh, Jason Aaron and Jesus Sayas was incredible, but also because that story took Frank Castle off the board. So we are getting a brand new Punisher in this run. So let's figure out who that person is. Is this the return of Frank Castle or the start of something else? Frank Castle has disappeared, but evil will always need to be punished. With all new threats rising to claim innocent victims, criminals will need to beware of a dangerous vigilante hunting them from the shadows. Who is the new Punisher? What put him on his path of vengeance? And when the smoke clears, will he even make it out alive? It's John Wick meets the fugitive in this action-packed new saga from Ringo award-winning writer... David Popose, and Eisner and Harvey-nominated artist Dave Wachter as the Marvel Universe meets the next generation of punishment. I dig that a lot. I'm looking forward to this for sure. Next up, we have Shazam! Number five. This is written by Mark Wade with art by Dan Mora. And I love this book. I'm very excited. We got a great little preview page from Dan Mora this past week, as of this recording, showing off some Mary Marvel. And you know how much I love me some Mary Marvel. So I'm very excited to dig into this. Billy versus the gods. The captain's battle against the forces of the Moon Emperor may orbit the absurd, but it's full of action that will leave you... Apollo? You can create your own moon pun for the end there, kids. Mary Marvel joins the fray, the Shazam family faces the gods, and a devastating betrayal awaits you in this issue. Now, we've been slowly inching towards the betrayal of the... Of the longtime boy, the best boy, Freddie Freeman. So we will just have to see if that plays out here. I am worried for our shazam uh, Next up, we have X-Men Red number... Let me look at this. Number 17. I am very sad because I have heard that this is the penultimate issue. And that the next issue is the end. This is the end. I am I am worried about this. Uh, written by Al Ewing with art by Ildre Sinar. I, I know I said that wrong and I apologize. But I am very worried. But I'm loving this book. I mean, the space opera aspect of it has always been fantastic. We're in the midst of the Genesis War and Apocalypse has made himself known. En Sabanur is back and he is going to be shaking things up once again. Let's dig into the synopsis. Apocalypse Now. When Genesis returned to Arako, she brought war in her wake. What will her husband bring with him? This issue, Apocalypse Returns. Storm holds the ultimate weapon in her grip, but in the face of En Sabanur, even that may not be enough. So, penultimate issue... And Salmoner back. I do not know how this is going to end, but I cannot wait to find out. Next up, we have Birds of Prey number three. This book rules. It's written by Kelly Thompson, art by Leonardo Romero, and all the pieces are set. So now it's just time to rumble. I'm really excited about this. Let's dig into the synopsis. The first mission for the new team. Destination, Themyscira. The covert first mission of the reformed Birds of Prey has established their beachhead in Themyscira. What could be so important to Black Canary that she'd risk the wrath of the greatest warriors on Earth? I mean we know since we've been reading the reading the book but I do love when synopses don't spoil stuff in the book so I'm excited I can't wait this book has been phenomenal and this cover good Lord, is it gorgeous. It's so friggin' cool. I'm ready for a big-time throwdown. Can't wait to pick this up. Next up, speaking of the hive mind this week, we've got Guardians of the Galaxy number 8. Written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly with art by Kev Walker. We are heading into the final act. There's only 10 issues of this, unfortunately, and I cannot wait to read this issue. Let's talk about it. There's a new sheriff in town, and new Guardians of the Galaxy? The truth about Grootfall is out there now, but will the universe listen? Do we even have to ask? It's the Guardians versus Whitecap High Command. The fight for the Fold reaches its explosive conclusion, just in time for everything to go to Flark. Yeah, so big time battle incoming. We do know that two issues are going to co- be coming after this. I don't know how they're going to... Uh, be in this story, but man, I can't wait to pick this up. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up is Superman 78, The Metal Curtain number 1. This is written by Robert Venditti with art by Galvin Guidry and... I mean, I loved me some Superman 78, so I am this is a must buy for me. This is the sequel series, the follow-up follow-up to Superman 78, which is of course the Superman follow-up to Superman the movie. And I am so excited to read this gang. Let's just talk about the synopsis already. When the planet Krypton exploded, its last sun was rocketed across the cosmos and came to settle in a small town in Kansas. But what else came with him? And what if a piece of his home landed somewhere we never knew about? As Superman has become a symbol of strength and pride for America, the Soviet Union looks to crush that image with a creation of their own, built by their own might and forged by their own power. That sounds interesting. Um, What I do love about this being set in the late 70s is, of course, Cold War nonsense. I absolutely adore any time that historical fiction gets brought into my comic books. And, I mean, we could get a lot from this. We could get Metallo. We could get, I mean, the cover teases, like, Lexus. Battle armor. There are so many different directions we could go with this, and I cannot wait to see where they go with this. If you haven't read the original Superman seventy-eight series, um, go check it out because it rules. It brings in Brainiac, gets into the heart of the Superman character. I just I love it. I love it so much. Uh, I'm sad that the artist from last time isn't joining us this time, but I have seen some of the pages of Gavin Goydri as he has been teasing them out on Twitter, and they look Phenomenal. So I can't wait to pick this up, and I can't wait to pick up all of these issues. To recap, we've got Gods number two. Batman number 139, Punisher number 1, Shazam number 5, X-Men Red number 17, Birds of Prey number 3, Guardians of the Galaxy number 8, and Superman 78, The Metal Curtain number 1. From Smallville to the far reaches of space, our comics are going all over the universe and all over the multiverse this week. But luckily for you, you don't have to go that far to get to your LCS to pick up some amazing comics. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and subscriptions really do help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space. Raises up our stock and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you and if you give us a 5-star rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here on the podcast. You can basically write whatever you want. I will be forced to read every single word you write as long as you give me those 5 stars. The sky's the limit on what you can have me read. People have taken advantage of it and had me say some some not great things, including criticizing comic book characters that I love, but you give me those 5 stars. I'll read whatever you want me to read. And you'll be able to join the likes of our Terrific 21. So if you want to be part of that merry band, feel free to send your review in. I want to say thank you to all of those who already have. We're hoping to get to 25 by the end of the year. I would love to get there. So send on those reviews. I want to hear them as long as they're five stars, as long as they're good ones. If you want to be part of the Geeksplained mailbag, send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Just put mailbag in the subject header and I will read it here on the Wednesday show. If you would like to keep up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, get first notification and announcement when I make announcements for the podcast, or maybe just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at pod That's at Geeksplained P-O-D as I... Continue to try and fail at being good at Instagram, and for as long as Twitter, I'm not calling it X, is around for, those would be the places to keep up-to-date with us. Finally, uh, if you liked me and Malcolm getting to sit down and chat, uh, every single Friday, he and I put on the Geek Explained Book Club, usually alongside good brother Jacob Brown. He is unfortunately not able to make it with us for the rest of the season. However... Malcolm and I are covering every single issue of every single volume of Green Arrow Rebirth and Jacob will be rejoining us in the new year, so make sure you tune in this Friday and every Friday. Uh, we're going to be tackling some real fun stuff this week, it's volume 3 of Green Arrow Rebirth and we are going to be uh, dealing with some stuff, uh, Green Arrow and Black Canary and John Diggle are back in Seattle and they have to now deal with being essentially outlaws, so we're really fun stuff. Make sure you tune in this Friday and every Friday. Star City Fridays are a real thing, so uh, make sure you be there or be square. I want to say a huge thank you to Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly once again for coming onto the podcast. I really do appreciate any time a comic book creator gets in, sits down with us, and talks shop. It's wonderful to get their perspective, especially because Malcolm and I are such huge fans of them. And so we cannot wait to have them back. It was wonderful to talk to them, and they're they're working on so many things. it's t- it's so difficult to cram all the questions we have for them in one episode. So rest assured they will be back. The hive mind will return., uh, they're coming back. So make sure you uh, stay tuned for whenever that happens. But that is going to be it for this week. Uh, Next week, Malcolm and I are going to keep the ball rolling as we put the Geeksplain spotlight on Superior Spider-Man. But Not the one you're thinking of. Uh, Superior Spider-Man is returning next week, helmed by Dan Slott and Mark Bagley. And so we are taking a dive into the most recent chapter of the Superior Spider-Man story, the 12-issue series Superior Spider-Man Christos Gage. Mike Hawthorne. We absolutely loved it. It's been five years since that book came out, which is wild, and nobody talks about it. So Malcolm and I are going to dish as much as we can on that comic next week, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explained, I've been Eric Kazana. Thank you so much for listening. Everybody stay safe, and we will see you next time. I'm not afraid to